If you would open up your Bibles then to the book of Jonah. This will be our last time in the book of Jonah for the summer. And we're going to be reading just a few verses. Verses 7 through 9 of chapter 2. Your Bible is open throughout the message because we're going to be in Jonah, kind of looking at various verses, and then we'll also kind of be traveling throughout the Bible this morning, the different books and different passages. Jonah 2, 7 through 9. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father, as uh, we come before your word now, I recognize that we're each coming from different places, that different things have occurred in the past week in our lives. Uh, Some things may have been good for us, encouraging things. Other things may have been very difficult, very hard to deal with. And so we come before you, Father, in in uh, these different ways, wanting to know you better, wanting to hear your voice, wanting to, to understand your word. So we pray for your help. Lord, we are dependent upon your spirit for that help. So please help us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we're doing something a little different uh, this morning rather than just uh, taking uh, a portion of scripture and, and preaching. The main theme or the lesson from that passage, we are looking at the entire book uh, and focusing on what the whole book says about God and about us, about, about man. Uh, Jonah is such a, a great book to do this sort of study with because, number one, it's short, uh, just four short chapters, and number two, it shows us this this direct interaction that God has with man, with, with us, uh, particularly with his prophet and then with the people to whom he has sent his prophet to. That's what we have here in Jonah. Uh, you know, as I was uh, working on, on this this week, I was reminded of something that my theology professor from Northwestern College, uh, Dr. Bill Kennedy, uh, used to always tell us in class. Uh, his lectures would be full of theological concepts and different scripture passages and historical details, and uh, he would begin to sense at times we were getting just a little bit overwhelmed. Um, and he would step back and then say, now be sure, be sure you don't miss the forest for the trees. Don't miss the forest for the trees. And what he meant by that common saying was, don't get so focused on the details that I'm telling you that you miss the big thing that the details are pointing to. Make sure you see the main thing, the main lesson here. And that's what I try to do every single week with my sermons. I try my best to show you the main theme of the passage that we're in. And with every portion of Scripture, there's always 
so much I could point out, so much I could spend my time on. Um, there's, I could say so much about the little details of each verse, but I don't want you to get sidetracked from seeing that main argument or that main reality that the passage is showing us, the, the intention of the author in what he has written us. And I hope I have done that each week that we've had here in the book of Jonah. Uh, but uh, Dr. Kennedy would also say as a caveat, but sometimes paying special attention to the trees will lead to wonderful blessings. And then he would tell the story of how he met his wife, Noah. When Dr. Kennedy was a graduate student, he was going to do a research project in Europe. And so he took a ship across the Atlantic Ocean in order to get there. And of course, the main thing for him at that time in his life was completing this research project. He was looking very much forward to getting to Europe uh, studying in different colleges and universities there in these old libraries with all of their vast resources that he didn't have access to in the States. Um, but he's on that boat, and after eating an evening meal, he was walking back to his cabin, and he heard this beautiful music coming from this larger gathering room. And so he stopped, and he, he peeked inside the doorway of this room to find the source of the music. But Dr. Kennedy was a short man, um, so he couldn't quite see you know, over the people gathered in the room. So he had to step in, and as he said, he had to make his way through the forest to see this young woman um, who was playing the piano and singing a well-known hymn to see this little tree that was in that room. And he listened to her sing, and when she was done... He got the courage to introduce himself and uh, asked her to play one of his favorite hymns, and she did, and they sang the hymn together, and Dr. Kennedy said from that point on, he had a lot of trouble focusing on that main thing <laughs> that he was going over to Europe for. He couldn't get his mind off this small, beautiful tree that he had noticed Sometimes paying special attention to the trees will lead to wonderful blessings. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to pay special attention to a few of the trees uh, that we kind of skipped over or at least didn't spend much time on while we were on our way through Jonah here. And I trust that we will be blessed this morning for doing so. Uh, so then our main thesis of, of what I'm getting at here in, in the, the whole of Jonah looking at a few of the different trees, is that God is absolutely sovereign and wonderfully merciful, and our salvation depends upon both. So what we're, re what we're seeing here uh, in Jonah, what it's revealing to us about God and about man, about us, God is absolutely sovereign and wonderfully merciful, and our salvation depends upon both. So one of the big themes in Jonah is the relationship that God has with man. Therefore, I settled on four main points that point to that relationship. Um, so this is not just some uh, academic study of God and man that we're doing this morning. This will be deeply personal for all of us. What Jonah says about God and man directly impacts how each of us will understand our personal relationship with God. And these four main points 
then that I want to show you from Jonah are God is sovereignly, or sorry, God sovereignly controls all things for his good purposes. That's the first one. Uh, second one is we are sinful and deserving of God's judgment. And then I'll kind of combine the third and fourth one together. God is wonderfully merciful, and we are utterly dependent upon God's mercy. So first, God sovereignly controls all things for his good purposes. So again, this is a truth that we have seen as we made our way through the book of Jonah, but we didn't spend much time on it, uh, primarily because this is a reality that every biblical author just assumes. We live in a world uh, that has a sovereign creator who is actively involved in and with the world that he has made. The psalmist in Psalm 135, verses 5 through 7, praises the Lord for his absolute sovereignty over all things when he writes in those verses, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all, the, in all deeps, he it is who makes the, church, or makes the clouds rise at the end of the, of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Nothing happens apart from his sovereign will. Whatever he wants to do, he does. That's who God is. And so in Jonah 1.4, we see this playing out um, in, in Jonah, in, in chapters 1 and 2 uh, primarily. Look at verses, verse 4, chapter 1 there. It says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. We see uh, the Lord here take direct action and frustrating the plans and actions of Jonah and everyone else that was in that boat. The Lord sovereignly had control over whether or not they were going to make it to their destination. He was in control of the wind. He was in control of the sea. He was sovereignly exerting his will upon the free choices of these individuals which then led them to fear the Lord. Look at verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Then there in the next verse, verse 17, we have another statement of the Lord's sovereign control, this time over sea creatures, in order to save his servant from death. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. While Jonah was in the fish, he prayed and made the confession of God's sovereignty, um, even over salvation. When he said in chapter 2, verse 9, we read a little bit ago, salvation belongs to the Lord. And then we are told how Jonah was able to return to land, uh, verse 10 of chapter 2, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So remember again what Psalm 135, verse 6 said, whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. Saw that there in verses, or chapters 1 and 2. Then in chapter 4, we are again shown the Lord's mastery over creation when he puts plants, the sun, the wind, and even a little worm to work 
for his good purposes in teaching his servant Jonah a lesson. Let's look at chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. So this was the climax of uh, the book here in chapter 4. This was the main lesson um, that the Lord was trying to teach Jonah, that salvation belongs to the Lord. The Lord will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And Jonah was just as much in need of humbling himself and repenting as the Ninevites were. And like a good elementary school teacher who uses object lessons um, in order to help her children understand the concepts that they need to know, God showed his sovereignty over all of creation in order to teach Jonah and us this lesson here. And God continues to teach his people lessons using his sovereign control over creation. He, he brings trials and joys. He brings suffering and happiness. He brings pain and health into our lives for his purposes, his purposes for us with the end goal being our good and his glory. Let's look at just a few places in the New Testament where uh, the Apostle Paul speaks about this. So Romans 8, 28 through 30, this might be a familiar and maybe well-beloved uh, passage for you, Romans 8, 28 through 30. Here's what we read about God's sovereign control for the good of his people. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. He's putting to use all things for the good of his people, those who are called according to his purpose, who love him, and the end goal is so that he would be glorified as we are made into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And then Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verse 11. Ephesians 1, verse 11. We have another sum summary verse from the apostle. In the context of, of salvation, salvation of the church through Christ, Ephesians 1 and verse 11, in him, that's in Christ, we, that is the church, have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him 
who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, what I want you to notice about those two passages in the Apostle Paul's uh, uh, letters there is, is his motivation for directly pointing to the absolute sovereignty of God over all things. What was his motivation? What was his purpose? His purpose was to bring comfort to believers. It was, it was not to confront believers with this hard truth in order to puzzle them or to beat them over the head. It was to encourage them. It was to, to, to give them hope. And that's exactly what this doctrine of God's sovereignty ought to do for every believer. Charles Spurgeon once said, when you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God, that is the doctrine, the understanding of God's being sovereign over all things, causing all things to work for, for, uh, according to his will, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. It's the comfort for you to, to rest, for you to be at peace. We are not in some random universe where things just happen by chance or at the whim of some blind force. We are here by design. And the designer is also the author of our lives, the author of our stories. And he's working all things out for the ultimate good of his people. Meaning he is using everything. He's using every hard thing, every trial to form and shape us into the image of Christ and preparing us for his eternal kingdom, for his glory. Nothing in our lives is wasted. He's using it all. Many of you know uh, who Johnny Erickson Tata is. I remember um, my mother introducing me to uh, who she was by, by telling me Johnny's story when I was very young. Um, she had been reading uh, Johnny's autobiography that was published in 1976. So it was probably a little bit after that when I um, uh, heard her talk to me about, about Johnny. And on the back cover of the book was a picture of, of Johnny painting. Um, and she painted by holding the, the paintbrush in her mouth. Um, and painted beautiful pictures. And I must have asked my mom about why is she doing it that way, you know. Um, so then my mom explained. She, she, she told me her story. Uh, Johnny was, a, was, a, was the same age as my mom um, and was born uh, almost exactly a month after her and was a very gifted young woman, very talented um, in, in many ways as an artist, as an athlete, as a student, as a singer, uh, but in, in her senior year of high school, at 17 years old, uh, Johnny was swimming with her family in the Chesapeake Bay, and she dove into the water off of the dock, and she had misjudged how shallow the water was, and she ended up uh, breaking her neck and was paralyzed from the neck down um, at 17. In, in her book, she shares how while she was recovering in the hospital, she went through a very dark time, questioning God, feeling very sorry for herself, but the Lord actually used that humbling experience to help her to draw close to him, to trust him completely. My wife and I uh, have, have seen Johnny speak at the two different conferences 
and both times have been overwhelmed with her joy, her love for the Lord, her love for other people. The Lord has used her to bless and encourage countless believers and people with uh, disabilities in ways that could have never been done without her testimony, her faith, her witness. That can be all traced back to this very, very hard thing that the Lord brought into her life, and she still deals with today. So does Johnny believe in God's sovereignty over all things? That God was sovereign that day? Does she believe that God was sovereign over her dive into the Chesapeake Bay on that day when, when her life changed? Well, here's what Johnny believes, is what she said. She says, nothing is a surprise to God. Nothing is a setback to his plans. Nothing can thwart his purposes, and nothing is beyond his control. His sovereignty is absolute. Everything that happens is uniquely ordained by God. She goes on. Sovereignty is a weighty thing to ascribe to the nature and character of God, yet if he were not sovereign, if, if he were not sovereign, he would not be God. The Bible is clear that God is in control of everything that happens. God always seems bigger to those who need him most. And so suffering is the tool he uses to help us need him more. Another inspiring author and and hymn writer who experienced her share of suffering in her life, uh, Margaret Clarkson, said this about the comfort that the knowledge of God's sovereignty can bring to us in suffering. She says, The sovereignty of God is the one impregnable rock to which the suffering human heart must cling. The circumstances surrounding our lives are no accident. They may be the work of evil, but that evil is held firmly within the mighty hand of our sovereign God. Jesus uh, taught that God's sovereignty over all things is meant to be a great comfort to us. In Matthew 10, uh, in the midst of sharing with his disciples that if they continue to follow him, that they will face persecution, that they will face great suffering, that people with power will try to kill them, it's a hard message to hear for his disciples. He says that to them, and then he said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father in heaven. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So if the life of every little tiny bird that flies around in this vast world is under the sovereign control of God, then surely your life is held by him. Surely your life is under his sovereign control as well. So fear not. Fear not. You can trust him. You can trust your heavenly father. Secondly, we are sinful and deserving of God's judgment. We also see that here in Jonah. We are sinful, deserving of God's judgment. So we saw... um, that God is absolutely sovereign 
here in Jonah, but in Jonah we also see another reality pretty clearly, and that is man is responsible for all of his actions. So God is sovereign over all things, and yet, Jonah shows us, man is responsible for all of his actions. We make real, meaningful decisions that we are responsible for in our lives. That's how the book begins with uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah, commanding him to go to Nineveh and call out against the city because their evil has come up before me, the Lord says. So therefore the people of Nineveh were choosing to believe in ways, to behave in ways that were wicked, that were deserving of God's judgment, Therefore, they were about to be held responsible for their sin. God was sending them his prophet then to warn them about this. But what does the Lord's prophet do? Well, he decides he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He chose to disobey the Lord's command, showing that he was just like the Ninevites. He made a real decision, and his decision was to sin his decision was to, was, was to go somewhere else. And so therefore, he would be held responsible for his actions as well. When we finally get to the, to the Ninevites in chapter 3, Jonah proclaims the word of the Lord to them. They were about to be overthrown by the Lord, uh, judging them for their sin and wickedness and evil ways. We amazingly find the king believing God's word and leading his people in confession of sin and repentance. And what we're shown in, in chapter 3 is not just the condition of one particular people group and one particular time in history of the world. No, God was uh, putting this, this passage here, keeping this passage here for us of Nineveh, of what they did in response to God's word in order to show us that this very situation, this, the, the, this very condition is what all of the world is dealing with. This is the very condition of the whole world. We are also sinful. We have also gone astray. We are also under God's judgment, and God's judgment is coming. The sins and evil ways of the whole world have come up before God, and because of that, judgment is coming. Paul speaks in, in Acts 17 to the people of Athens where he says, the times of ignorance of God I'm sorry, the, the times of, of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ there. Uh, during my, my regular uh, daily Bible reading this past week, I came to the book of the prophet Zephaniah. And the prophet uh, uh, Zephaniah was sent by the Lord not to go to a foreign nation, to a foreign city like Jonah was, and, and warn uh, people outside of uh, God's, God's uh, chosen people, but he was sent to Judah, to Jerusalem to proclaim about their wickedness that had come up before the Lord. And in Zephaniah chapter 1, the Lord's calling out against his people, warning them of the judgment. He was about to send to them through Babylon as well as the, the final judgment yet still to come for the people of the earth. So I want you to listen to what, what the prophet Zephaniah says 
here to, uh, to Judah. Chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 6. Zephaniah t- chapter 1, verses 2 through 6. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal in the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Then at the end of that chapter, verses 14 through 18, he says this, The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. And so one of the main lessons from Jonah that we are to see and to take to heart and help our children and our young people to understand is that we are sinners like the Ninevites, like the people of Judah here and Zephaniah. We are sinners. We have done wrong. We have done what is evil and wicked in God's sight. We have turned to idols rather than fearing God and worshiping the Creator. We have, we have done what's wicked in God's sight, even though it might not seem all that bad to us. And therefore, we are all worthy and deserving of God's judgment. And judgment will come. That day that Zephaniah describes will come. And God has warned us all about it. He's let us know, just like he let the people of Nineveh know. It's coming. So how will we respond? What will we do? Well, thankfully, Jonah shows us more about God and about ourselves than just these two things, that we are sinful and deserving of judgment. So here I'm just going to combine the last two points on our, on our outline. God is wonderfully merciful, and we are utterly dependent upon God's mercy. So the book of Jonah is, is filled with the mercy of God. It begins with God being merciful in his desire to send his word of warning to the people of Nineveh regarding their sin and their coming judgment. It begins with mercy. His mercy is then evident by the very fact that he is using a man to be the one to deliver this message to them. When what a privilege it is that God involves us in his great work of redemption in the world. He includes us. He doesn't need us. 
He could do it just fine without us. But out of his mercy, he calls us into relationship with him and gives us the blessing of speaking his words to others, words that if they believe them, will lead to their eternal salvation, eternal life. What a mercy that is. Then we see God's mercy displayed in Jonah's attempt to run away from the Lord. Uh, in, ver- in, verses, in verse 3 of chapter 1, we are told three different times here, three different times, uh, that Jonah's planning to go to Tarshish. Look at that. Chapter 1, verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He wants to go to Tarshish, but he never gets there. He never makes it there. The sailors on the ship, they were planning on on hauling a lot of cargo there. They were planning on, on doing business there. They're planning on making some money there in Tarshish. But how did their plans work out? So what Jonah 1 is teaching us is that we may make our plans, right? We make our plans to travel places, to do this, to do that, but we will only accomplish those things by the Lord's mercy and enablement. We will only get to where we are going by God's mercy. You all have certain places for the, or certain plans uh, for the rest of the day. Um, as I mentioned earlier, my family and I have plans for this week. We have plans to go to Branson, Missouri tomorrow and spend the week there and then return back here next Monday. But if any of that is going to happen, it will be completely dependent upon whether or not the Lord allows it. We are all utterly dependent upon God's mercy. James chapter 4, you may have picked up on, uh, on my alluding to this passage earlier. James chapter 4, verse 13 through 15. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade to make a profit. Yet you do, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If he wills. If he wills it, we'll be able to accomplish our plans. Jonah doesn't make it to Tarshish. And this again shows us God's mercy. God was merciful to not allow Jonah to just run away from him. He was not giving up on Jonah. He wanted Jonah to learn about his mercy, so he rescues Jonah from drowning and sends him once again to Nineveh to proclaim his word of warning to the people there. Why would God do this? Why would God provide such a warning to those wicked people in Nineveh? Why would he... Why would he tell them that judgment is coming when they deserved to suffer that judgment? They were wicked. They were evil. Why would God do this for them? Well, we we read about that. Jonah tells us, chapter 4, verse 2, he tells us 
why God would do this. It says, because I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. That's who God is. The Ninevites were in big trouble. They were under God's wrath, and yet God has mercy on them. Chapter 3, verse 10, when God saw what they did, that is, when they when he saw what, that they repented, that they humbled them, themselves before him, that they turned from their evil way, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So that's the, that's the main revelation of God's mercy and our utter need for it in Jonah. And, and like I was trying to show you in the last point, this story of, jo- of, of Nineveh is just a microcosm of the same story for us and for the whole world. Judgment Day is coming. We are all guilty, wicked sinners who are deserving of God's judgment. But God, out of his mercy, has provided us with his word to warn us to show us our need for rescue, and he's provided us with the Savior that has accomplished our salvation for us. If we would repent, like the Ninevites, and believe in him, in the Savior, Jesus Christ, we will also be saved from God's wrath on that day of judgment that is yet to come. And let's note the places in Jonah where the human characters are at their best. Where we see the human characters in Jonah just at their best. There are many places in Jonah where we see man as wicked, as rebellious, and self-righteous, particularly with Jonah himself in chapter 4. But where are the places where the human characters are at their best, where Jonah is at his best? And thus, when we are at our best, Chapter 1, the sailors, the sailors in chapter 1, when they realize that they are in need of the Lord's mercy and they submit themselves to the Lord's will and throw Jonah into the sea, that was the Lord's will, to throw Jonah into the sea, then they fear the Lord, worship him, and make commitments to serve him. That's when they were at their best in chapter 1. For the people of Nineveh, it is in in chapter 3, verse 5. So chapter 3, verse 5, there it says, The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. That's when they were at their best. They believed God. They believed what God said through his prophet. And we are always at our greatest when we trust what God says, when we believe his promises. Remember what God's word said about Abraham when when he believed God's promise. In Genesis 15, verse 6, and he believed the Lord and he, meaning the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. Righteousness is believing what God's word says, trusting it. And if you really believe what what, what God's word says, well then, you will do what God's word says. Faith without works is dead. You must take action to obey, and that's what we see the Ninevites do. For as it says in chapter chapter 3, verse 10, God saw what they did, it says there, how they turned from their evil ways. We are at our best 
when we believe God, we turn from evil, and walk in his ways depending upon his mercy. Finally, we see Jonah when he was at his best. It's in chapter 2 when he, is a, when he is praying his prayer of thanksgiving for the Lord's mercy, when he acknowledged that salvation belongs to the Lord, and then immediately afterward when he's back on the dry ground, what does he do then? The word of the Lord comes to him, and Jonah immediately obeys. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. That's when he's at at his best. So as we close in our time in Jonah, let's make sure that this book has left its mark on us as a church. Let us trust in the sovereign and holy God together. May we be comforted that he holds our lives in his hand and he causes all things to work together for our good and his glory. Let us walk in humility before him. Let us believe what what he says in his word and let us not just be hearers of his word, let us be doers of his word. Let us recognize that we are utterly dependent upon his mercy and so we live by his word. And may Jonah's confession in in chapter 2 be our confession. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for our time that we've been able to spend this summer in Jonah. And I do pray that you would be continuing to work through your word in our hearts and lives, making us more like your son Jesus, helping us to trust you, to believe what your word says, and then encouraging us, strengthening us to obey what your word says. Oh Lord, help us. We are in great need. We need to trust you in a world that constantly shows us, constantly tells us that you are nothing, you mean nothing. Help us, Lord, to have our hearts set on you. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.